Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Driving Force podcast. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst turned endurance athlete. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing world-class competitors in the sports and business world and have them share their perspectives on what it takes to remain driven with all that life throws at you. My guest today is a leading exponent of traditional karate, Sensei Ron Fagan. Ron first studied under the father of Canadian karate, Masami Tsuroka, and since then has compiled quite the resume. His competitive achievements include becoming the first Atlantic Canadian to compete at the Pan American Games, placing fourth at that event, placing second in the Canadian National Championships, and first in the World Karate Championships. Ron has also designed dozens of technical training methods to further the understanding of karate and establish the teaching, the teaching accreditation program, which is recognized widely throughout the karate world. Finally, Ron has done a lot of community-based work with celebrities such as baseball legend David Winfield in helping to educate kids on the dangers of drug and alcohol abuse. Ladies and gentlemen, my interview with Sensei Ron Fagan. Ron, thanks for coming on the show. Well, it's great to be here. I'm glad you gave me a call. Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate it. So what did what did you think of the McGregor versus Cowboy fight a couple weeks ago? Well, you know, I love watching this stuff. And, and I'm such a fan of both fighters. Uh, I, I took a McGregor. I lost a little of the luster for him when he started acting up a little bit. And, you know, kind of... I didn't like the banter too much, but uh, I'm one of those guys that doesn't need trash talk to watch a fight. You know, being a technical guy, I'm looking for a technical fight, so I don't have to hear any of the banter before the fight to know that yeah, that's a that's that's a brawl I'm going to want to watch. So, did I like it for the entire 40 seconds? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> you know, I absolutely did. Um, a few people were asking me, well, like what I thought, you know, who I thought was going to win. Uh, your dad being one of them, uh, you know, and uh, I just said, basically, if you're betting with your wallet, you have to go with McGregor. If you're betting with your heart, you got to go with uh, you got to go with the Cowboys. So that's how I stayed sort of neutral. And, uh, you know, it, it I would have loved to see it go a little longer. But unless uh, unless you've been butted with somebody's shoulder in the nose or the eye, it's kind of hard to uh, to realize how much damage he actually did with those shoulder strikes and it was unique and it was different and yeah it was exciting i mean you know anybody who didn't think they got their money's worth well you know crazy you'd love to see the fight go longer but in the meantime it was what it was i don't think that that the cowboy was um slack in any way i think he got stung and he got stung i mean we've all been hit in the nose at one time or another you know whether it's with a ball or your child backs up with their head and it's debilitating. And I think, you know, once he took that first shot, he got scrambled and, and he didn't have time to recover. You know, you, then you take another one of those and you take a third one and then you take a, a Mawashigiri or a round host to the head, followed by several of those cannonading lefts. It's going to be an early night. But, yeah, I guess the, I, I did enjoy it. Yeah. And who, who did you pick? Well, it's funny because uh, – I'm so bad at this, you know, I'm so bad at it is that, you know, I bet I with the people around here and the guys that I knew, I I bet on McGregor. Now, when I say I bet, I mean, I'm not going to retire off a dollar here or a dollar there. Now, <laughs> your dad, your father and I have bet on the UFC for the last 20 years and we always bet a dollar. We don't bet anymore. But I actually had a bet with your dad. I don't know if he told you and I, and I bet on the cowboy and the bet was that if the cowboy won he had to do an hour with me in the ring uh and if i <laughs> and if if it went the other way 
I had to put on those little pretend shorts and do an hour of yoga with him. So, <laughs> which I have never done. So I have, I've lost. And because I bet I'm a stand up guy. So I'm going to go get myself a little pair of cupcake shorts. I'm going to, you know, maybe have some granola and, <laughs> and suck it up and I'm going to do a class and your dad is, is going to hurt me. And I know he, and, um, I just hope he spares a little bit of me, a little bit of my dignity. But, uh, you know, that's what happens when you bet. So uh, hopefully I'm going to rely on the generosity of your dad not to put me in a pretzel hold and leave me in the corner somewhere. So <laughs> so, you've never, you, so, so you've never taken a single yoga class in your life before? No, no, I haven't. And I, I uh, you know, and I know the benefits of it. I see the benefits of it. I hear people talking about it. Um, it's just that my schedule, you know, that's not, I can't even use my schedule as an excuse because if, if you really want to do something, you'll, you'll find the time. Um, it just hasn't been on my radar, you know, but uh, flexibility is huge for me. You know, I always think a lot of people when they're talking about getting in shape, they always talk about cardio and they always talk about, you know, proper eating, but no one ever talks about flexibility. And without that flexibility, all the other things go to hell in a handbag. So to me, you know, flexibility is one of the big three as far as training is concerned. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's bad on me that I have, but, you know, I, I'm sure that uh, once I get a taste of it, <laughs> I'd work it into my schedule or if I can, you know, but again, the flexible thing, I absolutely love it. And I've seen what it's done for so many people, uh, you know, not in just the, the health factor, but just keeping your head on straight and, uh, the people and the, com the camaraderie and, uh, of the people who do it. And, and I, I love that. I love the whole, there's nothing about it that I don't like other than the fact that yes, if I go in there, I'm going to look really bad and that's just ego driven. So, you know, put me in the back of the class and don't make me wear my little, you know, scooter shorts. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a, it's a judgment free zone. So, um, there'll be people in there with uh, similar situations to you. So I won't, I won't worry too much. Now, you know what, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm laughing about it, I'm joking about it, but I'm actually kind of looking forward to it, too. I just I just don't know when your old man's going to be able to get his hands on me, that's all, you know, whether it's uh, whether he comes up to visit me here in Canada or I'm, I'm down visiting you folks. But I'm sure that when I get there, he, he will have something special planned for me. <laughs> and, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and flexibility is a pretty... Uh, re a really important um, aspect of, I guess, being good at karate too, right? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you know, the, a lot of people, you, you're, the injuries that happen, you know, mostly in our sport are not percussive. They're not because you've had an injury from striking. You've had an injury during training. Uh, you know, you've pulled something or you've stretched something. And that's what, what I constantly tell people, you know, you don't have to have a a major program but you've got to stretch if you keep stretching it you keep flexible you're going to not have injuries now my son is a, a, a national and international competitor in irish dance and um you know he sets up a stretching program every morning at 10 o'clock and then him and i go into the dojo and try to stretch as much as we can it's an integral part of what they're doing and and you know if you've ever seen river dance you can see the amount of leg strength and flexibility that those dancers need he's 14 years old and trains four days a week 
So he's got to, you know, I want him to have a long career as much as he can. So the flexibility and the stretching. So it's kind of cool because, uh, you know, the, the, the Irish dance school has, has had me down on a regular basis to help them with their stretching program as well as, uh, you know, building uh, strength, leg strength. So it's kind of nice for me to be able to branch out a little bit, but also be a little bit involved in what my son is doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, people always say to me, oh, your your, your son, he's 14, and I was late in life having a, a son, as you know, you know, that uh, he must be good at karate. And I said, no, you know, he's chosen a different path, which I love. One knuckle dragger in the family is enough. We don't, we don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just happy to, to that he allows me to be part of his his world, you know, in the flexibility department. Uh, um, you know, he, he's uh, it, it's interesting. It's interesting to watch. And it, it's very interesting for me from a technical point of view to see the similarities between what I do for a living and what he does. Um, and, you know, it's so close. It's so, so close. And and it takes dedication and it takes hard work. And and uh, and I'm glad that he's got that that ethical thing in him that makes him want to go at 14 years old. Please. I was, you know, climbing trees and hadn't got how to tie my shoes. And he's 14 and lucky enough to see him dance this year at something called the International Tattoo here in Halifax. So he danced in front of 10,000 people a night. Wow. Seven nights. You know, and I'm saying, dude, 10,000 people. Yeah, okay, Dad, go over there, you know. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, my, my and, and not, not to be late, but my wife and I went to the first night, and, you know, when the lights came on and we heard the boar on the Irish drum playing and the lights went on and he was in the middle of the floor, I just looked at my wife and went, Kleenex, <laughs> you know, <laughs> down my face. And I don't think I've been that emotional in quite a while, you know. Anyway, so that's that's my that's my thing here. Yeah, anyway. that's uh. That's great that he's starting a, a stretching routine um, this this early in his life. Um, that's what they say in terms of, you know, being flexible is just is to start early and then throughout your whole life you'll 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 remain uh, limber. So that that's great that he's so disciplined about it. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it doesn't matter what he chooses in life; he'll still have that flexibility. And if he has flexibility, he'll have health. If he's got health, whatever he chooses, whether he continues with Irish dance or. You know, whatever he he's gonna lead a better lifestyle because he's going to be physically fit, you know, and uh, hopefully he stays that way so he'll be able to take care of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You know, so uh, yeah, he, I, I have to be nice to him. He'll end up picking up my retirement home. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's um, I guess moving to karate now. It's uh, it's really been all karate all the time for pretty much your whole life hasn't it well it's certainly been my adult life that's for sure i mean we moved to a small town when uh, when i was in grade 12 from the city here in halifax and that was my mother's suggestion actually that uh she had read about it in the paper and uh you know i think she just wanted to keep me busy and in this smaller town because anytime i got a chance i was coming back to halifax or back to the city and Sort of getting out of that small man mentality, the small town mentality, and and uh, she she uh, I missed the first night that they had a demo, so I went the following night, and you know she suggested, why don't you go down and see what these guys are up to, and that was uh, February twenty eighth, nineteen seventy three. It was on a Wednesday night. I remember uh, going down. It was one hundred and seventy three people there the first night. 173 students the first night and the big thing about that was the two one uh 
you know, you needed your money that night. They wanted you to register. So I ran the three miles back home, and, you know, uh, saying to my mom, I, I, I need 20 bucks. Well, what for? You know, because $20 at that time got me three months of classes. Now, it wasn't so much as in three months of classes, but boy, I wanted one of them suits. <laughs> Those suits were badass, man. So uh, that's what it, you know, but that was 20 bucks. 20 bucks was three months and one of them suits. So, you know, I mean, she, she you know, 20 bucks was a big deal. And, uh, you know, took the 20 bucks, ran the three miles back, joined the class. And uh, what I remember most about the class was three months later, there was only 15 of us left. So the training was much harder than, uh, you know, it was much different than it is today. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that it was because that, that started me, uh, you know, and I remember saying to my mom and my mom brings this up uh, whenever we talk about it is when I did get home, I said, I needed this $20 cause I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. You know, that's, uh, that's what I told her. And I told her that, you know, 47 years ago. So my phone is ringing, but I'm going to turn it off. So we're, we're okay here. Um, okay, there you go. Whoever that was, you can call me back. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's you know, and, and it's been uh, it's it's been that way. I've never taken a backward step. Uh, the only time I've ever missed in the last 47 years was, uh, you know, if I had an injury uh, and had to sit out for a little bit. But I mean, I remember, you know, uh, getting out of the hospital for an injury and like heading back to the dojo. Or, and, you know, just set up a chair in the back for me so I can at least watch, you know. And uh, it was never, I, I, I don't know why. Uh, I, I just, I, I don't know why. I couldn't put my finger on what it was that said, this is this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. But I knew it. Mm-hmm. I knew it instinctively. And uh, I never gave it much thought. I just kept going. I just never stopped. And it's given me, you know, uh, to be honest, I didn't do a lot of speaking when I was younger. I didn't do a lot of socializing, you know, birthday parties and those kind of things. I was uh, I was quite shy, and, and uh, you know, being shy is, is debilitating. And um, if anything, the karate has given me a voice. It's allowed me to speak, and that's probably the biggest gift I've gotten from it other than the fact that i've had the opportunity to travel the world and meet just so many interesting people and you know branched out in other things that that allowed me to just you know have a life and a a really really good life one that i um i'm not finished with yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah not quite finished with it yet you know so uh uh you know the dojo kun the first thing i heard of the dojo sort of philosophy was part of a, a longer poem by Funagoshi Gitchin or Gitchin Funagoshi, um, the the man that brought karate from Okinawa to to Japan, and I've said it every day for the last forty seven years, and it's uh, you know the ultimate aim in the art of karate lies not in victory nor in defeat, but in the perfection of the character of its participants, and I've tried to live that. I really have tried to live that. You know, I mean. We've all had our bad moments and our good moments, but that's the kind of the way I treat people. And that's the kind of way that I, I've lived my life on on that dojo. Couldn't the guy said to me one time, you know, Fagin, what I like about you, you believe your own bullshit. <laughs> 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 I, 
saw it and I said, you're right. You were so right. Some people might take offense to that, but I don't. I believe the dojo kun. You know, I, I, I enveloped it wholeheartedly. And do I believe it? Yeah, I do. You know, I always thought that was a funny thing for some guy to say to me. And most people go, oh, my God, were you upset? Why would I be upset? He was telling the truth, you know. So, uh, yeah, I just kind of moved on from there. And, uh, you know, you not only do you follow the dojo, but you, you kind of have your own mandates as well. And I always thought that was important in life, regardless of what you do for a living, that you got to have a mandate. You got to have something you can follow. You got to have something you, you can hold on to. So for me, I've always had kind of three. One, I always wanted my students to be better than I was at that belt level. So when you go into the dojo or you're, you're somewhere in your training, you know, you want them to be better than you were, which probably not that hard because I probably sucked. Uh, <laughs> the, the second thing is I never let anything go. If I see someone doing something that's not right physically, you know, or technically, I never gloss over it and say, okay, I'll be back. I'll get you on the next trip through. I always got to stop right there and fix it. Uh, and the third mandate that I've always sort of lived by was teach everyone as if they were a future teacher. Not as a student, because if you're teaching someone like a student, then you're just showing them how to do anything. Whereas for me, it's always been, and, and the dojo kun now, and the sign I have in the dojo is enrichment over repetition. And that that's important for me. Now, it's not for everybody. It's not the way everybody teaches, but it, it uh, it's, a, it's a good thing for me. Years ago, when I was down in your way in New England, I had the opportunity to meet Sensei Perry, who was... I don't know what it was, but he was one of those guys. You meet. First of all, he's one of the toughest sons of bitches I ever met in my life, regardless. Um, you know, but after training with him, two things that he did one time, uh, he said, you know, like, you guys do karate by design, not by rote. He said, here you get good at karate because you just do it over and over and over again. Uh, and if you're a natural athlete, you'll get good at that particular style of karate. He said, but you guys don't. You guys don't train by rope. You guys train by design. Mm -hmm. and, and he was right. I never sort of gave it much thought because I was always did this enrichment over repetition thing. And, uh, and the second thing that Sensei Perry did one time, probably the first, I believe it was the first time I, I was invited to come down to train was we trained Friday night, we trained Saturday, and halfway through the class on Saturday, he sat down. I'd never seen a sensei or teacher sit down in the middle of a class when I was speaking. And when I looked over, first thing I said, like, are you all right? And he looked up at me and he just went, I'm full. <laughs> I'm full. He said, the technical stuff you're throwing at me, he said, I, I'm good. I'm full right now. He said, anything after what you say now is just going to be white noise. So I said, so are we done? He goes, yep, let's go get a beer and wings. I'm good. But just the honesty of the guy, you know, just the pure honesty of not sitting there nodding and, and saying, oh, yes, I'm saying that'd be great. I'm over it. He didn't. He just said, dude, I'm full. I can't take any more in. And I just, I'm like, I like this guy. I want to train more with this guy as much as I can. I'm going to learn from this guy. So. Uh, he was a, yeah, and still is one of the nicest people and definitely one of the toughest guys I ever met. Yeah. So do, yeah. You, do you try to incorporate um, the dojo-kun principle um, into your life out, outside of training and outside of the dojo? Yeah, I think it, I think it does. I mean, it, it's not to that, you know, this is the way it is. I think parts of it, you know, like you try to treat people 
I give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, one of the best things you can do, I think anybody, anybody that's ever had a drink in their life should be forced to work in a bar for one day. Uh, you know, so that you can sign a, you can you learn more about human nature. I learn a lot of you know from teaching, but you know, working in, in the bar business, you learn more about human nature than you will anywhere else in the world because people want to be your buddy at four o'clock, want to kill you at ten. It's you know, you're getting <laughs> the evolutionary scale. So, I always carried the the philosophy of the dojo with me as much as I could in to my life into my other work cases and. Uh, yeah, I kind of try to live that 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 lifestyle. Now, we, we all falter. I'm certainly I'm far from perfect. I've got a lot of a lot of problems, you know. But I try to try to deal with them the best I can. And, and uh, yeah, you know. So I do carry those philosophies with me. They may not be ingrained in stone, but you're going to get a piece of them. And it's 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 uh, it's carried me well. It's it's done well for me over the years. And uh, if it hasn't, it was probably something I said or did, not somebody else. And I don't mind taking taking the heat uh, for being a you know bit of a pinhead at times. But, you know, <laughs> my my wife keeps me straight. You know, uh, I couldn't do I couldn't do anything that I do. There's you know without you know there's an old saying which I love and I've used more than once that to reach the stars you have to stand on the shoulders of a giant. Well, I've had the opportunity to, to, to stand on the shoulders of wonderful giants. I have the best senpais I've ever had. All by the name of Stephen Boudreaux has been with me for years. Um, I, I look up to him, even though he's, it's, you know, for everything that I do, I bounce everything by him. Um, you know, he's just been a godsend to have him in our life to help us out. Uh, you know, my wife, uh, Darlene, if, if she didn't take the bull by the horns, you know, I, I wouldn't be where we are today because uh, she's got a business sense and I don't. I absolutely suck at business. I just, I'm horrible at it, you know, I'm, I'm horrible. But, uh, you know, when she came into my life, she said, you know, why don't you let me take care of that aspect? If I take care of the business end of things, then that'll leave you free to do what you do best. And that's to teach and create. And, uh, you know, I'm going, wow, I like her. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Mark, she also said to me one time, you know that little man that sits on your shoulder that tells you to say stuff? And I said, I do. She said, you don't have to listen to him. And I went, whoa, she's deep. I'm keeping her. So, you know, my family, my friends, uh, my students, they all, they all keep me sane as much as I can, but I couldn't do anything without those people. This is not, this is not a one-way ticket. This is not a one-man story. This is a team event, and it continues to be a team event. You know, I'm lucky to have met your dad. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that I look up to. I, I, I really, really do. And it's come from a point where I first met him in the dojo that, you know, we developed a friendship over the years. And, uh, you know, there are times when just talking to your old man on the phone for a little bit or Skyping is uh, I can get off that and go, okay, you know, I can make I can make a better day of this. So I'm thankful. I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. And I think it's important that you mention, um, I guess, the, the, the team aspect and how, how important the team is. Um, uh, a pretty famous Navy SEAL, um, his name's Jocko Welling. He was a, a commanding officer, uh, a Navy SEAL in, in Iraq for a number of years. And he said that, you know, nothing significant uh, gets accomplished in someone's life um, alone, that there's always other people involved. Um, and I think just you 
you mentioning that is it's just pretty it's pretty important. Yeah, it, it, it is. And anyone who says that they do it on their own or doesn't give credit or kudos to those that help them, and you're a narcissistic son of a, you know, and it isn't. Like, I I, I just couldn't do it without the support system. At the, my support system at home, my support system in the dojo. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy. I, I, you know, most of my traveling, a lot of my traveling, has to do with non-style. Like, the, the Weichi system bring me into to uh the, you know the east coast of the united states the shotokan people are bringing me out west so i'm one of the few guys that i know that 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 travels outside his own style because karate itself can be quite insular you know and uh, i'm blessed but i think the reason is is over the last 47 years of teaching they realize I, i'm not a threat i'm not there to spread my dogma i'm not there to preach i'm there to help you with your stuff you know, you ask me what you're having trouble with, and I'll just go to the little tickle trunk and I'll pull out an experience and say, "Hey, try this." You know, because when I'm traveling, I very seldom, if, if ever, talk about style. We just talk about body mechanics. You know, flexibility has got nothing to do with style. You know, or or body mechanics and how you look at things. So, um, I've just developed, uh, you know, I guess apparently a good style of being able to to share with people and being able to do what I do. And love what I do so much and have such a passion for it. To be able to share it across Canada, the United States, South America, and all the other places that I've been is a, is a real blessing. And, uh, you know, last year I had the opportunity. They flew me out to British Columbia to do a seminar. There was 74 people in the class. And my opening line was, first of all, thanks for having me here. Um, you know, but I'm, I have no political affiliations and I have no style affiliations. I'm here to help you with your stuff. And uh, it has to be fun because if it's not fun, I don't want to do it. You know? <laughs> I think it was, you know, there was a few faces like kind of shocked by that. And I went, so what do you want to do? You know, as opposed to me saying, all right, let's get down and get dirty. Let's do this. I'm not there to show you my stuff. I'm there to help you with your stuff. And if we can share that along the way, because I'm going to steal anything I can from you and apply it to what I do. You know, years ago, if I, if I may, uh, my sensei was the first guy to brought the, bring karate to Canada back in 1956. And, uh, you know, over the years, I was lucky enough to become his technical advisor. I traveled with him one time to a seminar, and they had all the major styles that were there, all the major people in Canada, a lot of them from the United States. were, um, And the seminar was... Uh, for each person to go up, each of the heads of the styles, and kind of give the essence or sort of the, you know, what they felt was the the meat of their particular style so that everybody was on the same page. And, uh, you know, all these different guys were going up. And, and Soroka Sensei was all their seniors. So I noticed, first thing I noticed is that every time they were talking, they were kind of peeking over to qualify it in front of him, which I thought was quite funny, you know. And, uh, but when, we, when I said to him, Sensei, will you be demonstrating today? I just got this look. And he used to have this funny little way of pulling his glasses down his nose and looking at me over the top of his glasses. And he looked at me and he just said, no, I'm not. You know, and I said, well, and I thought maybe he didn't want to go up physically and do it. And I said, you know, if you need me to go up, I'm ready. I'll go up in front of these guys. And he looked at me and verbatim, he said, we came here to steal shit, not give it away. <laughs> and, this, and I'm looking at this little Japanese 
Canadian man, and these words came out of his mouth, and I, you know, it's indelible. It's in stone with me. You know, it was so funny, and it was so human. You know, and I said, that's really cool, but that's not what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, it's working for him. I want to get out there and I need to share. I need to give you stuff that you're looking for, but I'm going to take stuff back. And I've always said to my students, you know, you should go if you're on vacation somewhere and you get the opportunity, go to another dojo. You get a chance to train with somebody, go train with somebody. There's only one rule. Bring it back. Bring back what you saw. You know, and we'll add it if it works. If it doesn't, we'll give credit where credit's due and move on. You know, so our repertoire of technical ability has just spread because we've always not had blinders on. We've never said, okay, we're this style. This is the dogma, man. We're going to stick with it. And we're not going to leave, which unfortunately a lot of people do. And because of that, they just miss out. They miss out on some wonderful, wonderful opportunities to see some great stuff. And there's a lot of one of the things after 47 years, people say to me all the time, you know, what keeps you going? And I said, A, I realize how little I know. That keeps me going. And I also, um, I'm a student. When, I, when, when you stop being a student, then you stop learning. And if you stop learning, then it's time to take the belt off, go do something else. But I'm always going to be a student. That's why I don't have a club. I have a karate school and in schools you don't have instructors you have teachers you know and uh i try to i try to keep that philosophy no matter where i'm at in the world the world no matter where i'm teaching is that i'm just as big a student as the people in front of me right yeah yeah does it um does it annoy you those um when you go to visit other schools um or come across other martial arts instructors that um don't have that much of an open mind to learning from different styles that just think that, you know, their way, um, and their school is kind of like the Holy grail and there's nothing better. Yeah. I'll tell you the truth is, uh, Oh yeah. I've seen a lot of that. Uh, and that usually ends up coming around to bite them in the ass, you know, because the Soroka sense, I always used to say, you know, when you think you know everything, go train with somebody that knows a little more and that'll fix you up. And, and it does. I'm fortunate in the fact that when somebody from a different state or a different province or a different country invites me in, they know what they're getting. You know, they know what they're getting. So if they're inviting me in to help them out there, I think they're prepared to uh, sort of open up their, their thought process um, to say, okay, well, we do it this way. And I always say, you know, what I'm doing is not right and it's not wrong. It's just what I do. Let me show you. You know, if you can absorb it and it's something that you can add to your system or add to your training methodology, then it's yours. Take it. If it isn't, throw it out with the trash on Tuesday. You know, but I think a lot of the people who, who bring me in, they, uh, you know, especially now, you know, everything that's so close with the Internet is that they can do pretty much. They can find what they're looking for. And if they're looking for me, then they're looking for something specific and they know what they're going to get. And uh, so I don't have to deal with that as much. You deal with it more in a social context than you do, like, in the dojo itself. You know, you're at a party somewhere, and someone knows who you are, and they want to talk about martial arts. They're more interested in talking about their stuff. And I don't mind listening. But that's, and I'm sure you've heard it as well, that's when you're in the social, while well, I take this particular style, you know, it's, we're the best in the world. Well, that's great. You know, how do you do in <laughs> What do you do with grappling? Well, we don't grapple because 
we don't go we've never been taken to the floor but if you did <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah yeah did uh, you know so that's uh so you know it's funny because over the years i've had you know you you, you change your philosophies and as you get older younger and you know, uh, when I was younger, I'd probably want to go to war with these guys and, you know, butt heads about styles. And, and uh, you know, the older I got, the more I un- I understood and the more I traveled and the more people that I trained with. You just sort of go, oh, it's great. I'm, 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 wow, it's good for you. Good for you. And, and one of my students said to me one time, he said, I really admire those people. And it struck me that he said that. What do you mean you admire those people? He said, because they're so convinced what they're doing is right. They don't have to delve beneath the surface. He said, whereas we have to continually be reverse engineering everything because that's our style. Okay, here's a kick. Great. Let's take it apart. What, what, what body parts do you need to make that right? Okay, well, then we'll need to stretch this way. Well, you know what I mean? So we haven't had the same problems uh, that those people have and saying that one style I, I tell everybody all the time and it's not i'm not the best at what i do i'm not the worst at what i do this is just what i do <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's anyway speaking of um other styles that think they're the best what are your thoughts on that um that kind of that no touch martial arts have you seen that oh my oh listen <laughs> I got to tell you, if you're having a bad day, Google it. (laughs) Because there's nothing that brings me more pleasure than to sit and watch that. I find it absolutely, well, first of all, I find it fascinating that anybody who watches that would believe it. And there are people out there who do. Okay, good for you. But, you know, (laughs) after, after working in some of the toughest bars in Atlantic Canada, that stuff would not fly. <laughs> oh, it just wouldn't fly. But when you watch it, uh, it's entertaining. Uh, it certainly is entertaining. And I tell people all the time, you know, if you're if you're, uh, you know, in the dojo, you got to go to this guy's website. Man, you got to see this guy. He, he flings people around, and you know, he can do it by just looking at you. Well, wouldn't that be cool? No push-ups, sit-ups, no no having to stretch. No understanding stuff, know how to re- reverse engineer all these techniques. Wow, you just kind of give somebody a hard ass look and they fall down. Yeah, I, I, I would have saved a lot of time had I done that. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. So that's my, I, I, I find it entertaining. Would I get upset by it? Well, no, I wouldn't get upset by it. That's not worth getting upset over, but it, it sure is entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before, uh, before we get into, um, you working in the in the bar business because um, I definitely want to get into, get into that. Um, going back to that first karate demo that um, kind of sparked your interest yeah. in karate in the first place. How how hard was the the training? Um, I guess that was going on there because you said it dwindled the, the number of partic- participants dwindled from like a hundred. Oh, yeah, one seventy three down to fifteen after three months. It was it was rough, man. Uh, it didn't help that the uh, the instructor at the time had a drinking problem, um, you know. But you don't know that at the time. You're just going out there, and and I remember doing outside forearm blocks using your form, and you know we there were metal beams, and and that's how we did our blocks on these metal beams, and the metal beams didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> 
you hit it wrong, you'd hear, uh, and you would drop. And, and uh, you know, we, you wouldn't, you didn't question. We just figured because it was all so new and exciting and bright and shiny. Oh, yeah, you got to do that, you know. Uh, doing sit-ups and, you know, letting people run across you at the time and, you know, jump on your stomach. Uh, things that you'd look at today and, oh, God, I'd be in jail if that happened. But, uh, you know, yeah, it was tough. It was physically tough. It was mentally tough. And uh, it weeded out the also rans. It weeded out the people that that uh, you know were smart enough to realize this is you know awful. <laughs> but <laughs> just hung in, and uh, I'm glad that I did hang in because um, you know I was there at the bottom of the evolutionary chain. You know I was dragging knuckles. We all were, and um, you know, and then coming up in like I say, 47 years later. Um, I'm glad it was that way. I'm glad it was that way because it started building the foundation for everything else I did after that. We both know, and you know, you you got a strong foundation. You can build up story after story after story. Uh, you know, you got a weak foundation. Boom, two stories up, it's gone. Uh, your house burns down. The only thing's left is the foundation. But you got something you can rebuild on. And and uh, you know, I'm sure more than once my students have heard, well, in the old days, you know. Walk to the dojo on her bare feet to save our shoes for Christmas, you know. And, <laughs> but, you know, the Shinai was ever present, the bamboo swords when it came time for for, for teaching. So but uh, you know, it just it 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 made us it made us either want to continue or to stop and um I I just wanted to keep going. I just you know, to be honest, I, I was I never had any goals i can honestly say that i never had any goals like getting a black belt was never something in my wheelhouse um you know making the canadian national team or or uh, traveling internationally was never anything in my wheelhouse i always always wanted to be a teacher and i wanted to be the best teacher and i continue to try to strive to be the best teacher that i can be um you know speed power they, they all go with age um you know but that ability to become a good teacher too someone said to me one time i was doing an interview down in the states and they said well why you man like what do you bring to the i mean there's thousands of guys like you what do you bring to the stage like what do you bring and i said enthusiasm you know it's not the kicking the punching the blocking of the karate techniques itself i said it's enthusiasm if i can instill enthusiasm into a student to want to learn more. It doesn't matter whether they stay with me or they go to another dojo or they go to another style or they do anything else. If I've provided that enthusiasm for them to want to learn, to seek, then I've done my job. And I've always been that way. And I continue to be that way. And I will teach as long as I've got breath. And if I if I don't have that breath, then I'll do it manually, you know? Uh, or I'll type it down. I can't ever see me ever stopping. And the beauty of wanting to be a good teacher is that you're you're looking at other people's philosophies and other people's methodologies, and you go, "Whoa, I could incorporate that. You know, I could I could use that. I could take that. I could take that yoga mentality and maybe apply it here. Or I really like that stretch they're doing. That would make this particular technique that much better. So I don't stop. Like you know, I'm not a follower. I'm a seeker. Yep. You know. Followers are dangerous. Followers become zealots, and zealots are dangerous regardless of what they do. But when you're a seeker and you're just out there and you're looking, ah, there's no stop. There's no uh, there's no end to it. Yeah. No? 
and teaching martial arts, whether it be karate or, or another art and seeing confidence develop in a student, uh, technical proficiency improve, strength improve, you know, et cetera, um, I feel must be really, really fulfilling. Uh, is it, is it fulfilling for you? It must be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a rush. Like it, it's, it's a rush. It really is because like I said, people who are good, people who are good, uh, athletes, they can take karate and they're going to be good regardless. They could be playing tiddlywinks or they could be climbing trees and they're going to be the best at it because they're natural athletes. But you know what? That's such a small percentage that show up at the dojo. You know, we got the guys, the women, the kids that are, you know, can't walk and chew gum. And, and you know, all of a sudden you see them holding their head up and, you know, they're, you know, I, I could just, I, I could sit here and absolutely fill your podcast with stories of people who, um, you know, have done so many wonderful things. Um, just to give you, a, you know, a, a quick overview, we we had uh, a trophy that I used to give out this award every year, and it was for the outstanding karateka. And it wasn't the best fighter, the best kata man, the best. It was just the best overall person um, that they tried. And 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 I was giving this trophy out uh, a few years back, and all of a sudden, people are waiting for me to to announce the winner. And I had gone into a zone, and my zone was I was looking at all the names on that trophy. And there was probably, you know, 25, 30 names on it. And out of those 25 or 30 names that I saw in these, these brief moments, there was only two that hadn't gone on to post-secondary education. Two. Wow. You know, these guys, there were engineers, that uh, there were nuclear engineers. There were, oh, my God, there was doctors those guys that was a was a, and he is a, a forensic vet you know mm-hmm. all went on post-secondary education now was that because of us well no but you know what if it was a percentage and the great greatest thing and one of the best accomplishments that i can have as a sensei is when they come back to visit you know they come back to visits and, and they all do they if they're in town they Sensei, we just came over to see how you're doing, and uh, uh, and that is so fulfilling for me to come back and see. Or you know, my my dad used to train with you. That's why I'm here, and and now because of my age and the amount of time, oh well, my granddad used to train with you. <laughs> you know, my son and I were walking in the mall, uh, wasn't that long ago, and this woman came up and tapped me on the shoulder. And, Excuse me, yes, she said, "Are you are you Sensei Fagan?" I said, "I am." And she just, oh, my God, you're still alive. <laughs> and my son just busted up like he just thought that was the funniest thing. You know, Dad, you're still alive. How old are you? I said, well, I'm old enough to, you know, cut your allowance off. I could- <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're not going to DB games today. We're going home, you know. <laughs> so I just thought that was funny. But, you know, in the same vein, it just gives you that you asked about the thrill it is it's it's the lifeblood it, it for me you know uh, if you count your successes on a financial financially i'm broke dude uh you know if you if you count your finances or your 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 successes by the amount of trophies or the medals that you've got hanging or down in boxes it's so limited but when you when you count your successes and the amount of people who you've touched whether it's through karate training on the dojo or giving talks or going to schools or doing seminars or 
just having people show up at your home because they've got troubles and they need someone to talk to and they know that this is a safe place. Those, those are your successes. And I've had, yeah, I'm blessed. I'm absolutely blessed. Yeah. Big skin and white shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like the profession, um, you know, is, and has been, you know, really fulfilling for you have, ha, um, or I think you alluded to, alluded to it already. Um, has it been financially, uh, fulfilling in any way? Um, well, I've, I've made a, a living for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've got, uh, you know what, I've got food in my belly. I've got clothes on my back. I, I, I live in a nice home. I, I've, uh, I travel a lot, so successful, but that's all due to my wife. And I, you know, because I suck at business. I really do. I, I am so bad because somebody shows up with snot in his nose and holes in his pants. Yeah, come on in. You know, well, we don't have, we can't get one of those suits. Yeah, I got one for you. You know, there's a, there was a, there was a standing joke in the dojo. Of how much are the t-shirts? Well, if Darlene has them, they're, they're $12. If Sensei's got them, they're free. Just ask him. He'll give you his, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm home from trips without my gi without my gi didn't leave it there but just saw somebody who didn't have one and if i could pass my gi on and they think there's magic in it and that'll keep them going then it's a piece of cloth to me but it's so much more to them but you know once i met uh darlene and she uh took over that she's the success she's the one that's that said, you know, she's the one that has to take the heat, you know, for dues and all of those other things, you know. And uh, if it wasn't for her, yeah, I, I wouldn't be there because, as I said earlier, she's allowed me to do what I do, and that's to create, to teach. And uh, that woman has never once ever said, Are you, do you have to go? Are you sure? You know, blah, blah, blah. And my, my saying has always been D-D-D-D-S-C, Daddy, don't sell cars. Not that they <laughs> take anything away from people who sell cars but this is what i do for a living it doesn't matter how sore how hurt how despondent or whatever you are i don't sell cars this is what i do for a living so i gotta go which was hysterical because one time my calves were killing me so bad i was walking down the stairs backwards your dad will will, will attest to that it's the easiest way to walk when you got sore calves and my son was probably four years old at the time, maybe five. And I was walking backwards and my wife saying, you fool, take the night off. You can hardly walk. And this little voice comes out of the blue, you know, DDSC mom, dad, don't sell cars. You know, meanwhile, you know, she knows she's surrounded now and I'm trying to get down the stairs and out the door without laughing. So, yeah. Anyway, so financially there are people who who are much better at it because I think what happens is they have good business sense and their business is karate. So my problem is that business has never been karate. Karate is my life. It's what I do. It's not who I, it's who I am. So the business end of things, um, that's why Darlene takes care of it. But there's a lot of people out there. Um, you know, if you want to teach karate as a business, uh, then your your plans have to reflect that. And so of course that comes with a lot of baggage. It means you got to push people through faster. You got to make the bottom line. You know, um, you, you, you know, you got to crack that nut and pay, pay the mortgage or you got to pay your rent. So, um, when you do it for a business, you, you do it 
for a different reason. Well, I've never done it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, and, and nothing, and that's not to take anything away. I respect those guys that do that for a living. I really do. It's just I can't do it, and I, 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 I can't do it. But a lot of people that I know, especially down your way, have been quite successful at making themselves a good living and 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 still teaching karate. You know, they have a business, and their business is karate. You know, I have, uh, I don't have a business. I've got karate, and it's a life, and I can't put a, I can't put a, a price tag on it. You know? Yeah, it's so uh, it it's it's never been about the money for you. No, no, it, no, it hasn't. It it hasn't. And you know what? People tell me all the time, "Wow, you move here, you move there, you make a fortune." Yeah, but would I be as happy? I, I I had a chance to do a couple gigs in Hollywood one time, and they were saying, "Yeah, and you should stay down here. You you would do okay here." And I went, "Yeah, maybe." But you know what? My family, my 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 life, my students, and my life is in Nova Scotia. And, the only thing you're offering me is money, and that's not enough. That's not enough to keep me here. Thanks, but no thanks. So yeah. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Do um, and some some people who um are really you know, business minded and into making karate uh, a business struggle with uh, keeping motivated to to teach every day. Um, right. I'm sure you know some of those guys. I absolutely do. And, uh, you know, like they've got to crack that nut. They've got to pay that mortgage payment. They have to, they have to, uh, you know, pay the rent. They have to, you know, um, you know, yeah, it's gotta be tough and it has to split you. Like you have to have that business sense and you have to, you know, I guess be a little bit harder on people, you know, your dues are due and you can't come if you don't. And, you know, I, I, my, my head just doesn't and has never worked that way. Um, and, uh, you know, God love them. I, I'm glad that they, they do that. But I, I don't have those. I don't have those headaches, but I also don't have that fancy car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. That's okay. That, that, that's okay. You know, my dojo is in the back of my house. I don't get snow days anymore. I have to, uh, I have to walk out the back door to the, to the building. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's it's cool with me. I'm good with that, and I think anybody that knows me, um, there's been so many people over the years that have tried to to help me out business wise and say, you know, if you did this, you'd make a lot more money. Yeah, but I wouldn't be happy, and then I'd have to I'd have to stop doing what I do here. And but as I said before, thank God my wife is there to keep me on the straight and narrow, so they don't deal with me. They know that if there's a dollar sign involved, they just go around me and just go right to her. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> yeah. they're going to get the. And, and, and I'm, I'm thankful that I have her to do that. Yeah. As a, uh, prospective student, what are some of the signs, both good and bad that someone should look for when evaluating whether or not to study karate at a particular school? Yeah. You know what? I tell people over the years, the first thing that I would do is, I'd, uh, which is sort of strange, I guess, is, is longevity. First thing you want to do is find out how long they've been there. Like, how long have you been in that facility? And not that it has to be a, a big facility, but even if it's a rental, um, how long have they been there? Because a lot of these places open and close quite regularly, and they're jumping all over the place. If these guys are lo losing their building, they're not paying their debts. If they're not paying their debts, then they're probably not a good businessman. That doesn't mean that they're not good karateka. But first thing I tell people is longevity. I don't know how long they've been there. The next thing I would look for is qualifications. 
and not the qualifications that you would see in a frame up on a wall because we all know they can be duplicated you know and what's on the wall is not what's on the floor that's what I tell people don't be looking up at the wall most people can't read the Okinawan or Japanese anyway look and see what's going on the floor look at look at the camaraderie look at the student and the teacher and how well he he relates to the people you know how how well you relate those are things that you, to me that are important how long have they been there what's their qualifications uh, do they have a provincial or a state organization is that a member of a national organization is that a member of an international organization so you can see the pedigree is there um, and that's not to say that their technical ability is any good then I would go back a little bit deeper and, and just watch the interaction between the teacher and the student. Is it one of, uh, a, you know, is it a bullying manner? Is, is it, you know, do what I say or is it a sharing moment? So those, I think, would be the, the big three for me if I was going to tell somebody to go somewhere. And don't just go to one. you got to go to a lot of them and, and, and watch and listen and see. And, and uh, you know, uh, but don't just go to one. Go to as many of them as you can because, you know, I've had people – uh, you know, that come and say, well, we were really interested in this. Well, you know, we really don't do a lot of that, but the guy I know is really good at that. Go see him and tell him I sent you over, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, because, you know, for me, I live in a, you know, you know, we're fairly, it's a good sized city, but you know, everybody that's around, like I'm the old man as far as martial arts here in town. So I know who's good. I know who isn't good. And I don't talk about the people who aren't good. I just say, if you know, if you're going to grapple, this I'd go see this guy. You know, if you're looking for something for your child, this guy is, has got a great camaraderie with kids. I think he's a wonderful, a wonderful teacher with children. So that that's what I would do, Chase, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Would you also recommend taking a trial class if that's possible? Oh well, yeah, and and you know, if if somebody's asking you to sign on the dotted line without getting a free class. I'd, I'd walk away right then mm-hmm. I'd walk, you know, and, and, uh, you know, there's no, there's no exception when it comes to being on the floor. You can talk about karate. You can talk about how good you are and what you do. I had a, 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 a newspaper reporter want to do an article on me one time. And I said, no, I'd rather not do that. And he said, well, you know, be good for PR. <laughs> I don't need PR. You know what I, I said, if you want to do an article on me, take one of my classes. You come in, you do the class with us. I'll put somebody right with you to help you out so you don't feel, put you in a gi, and you write the article from the inside out. Your experience at Metro Karate, your experience. Not what I have to say, not what my senior students do. I think an article should come from you, your experiences. And if it's a positive experience, it will it will reflect on us. If it's a, a bad experience, it'll still reflect on us. And, and they should know that. So it was one of the coolest articles I ever read because the guy did it. He stepped up to the plate, put a gig on. And, and uh, you know, over the years, I probably lost the article. But I remember reading and going, yeah, this is really cool because he was down there and he was stroking and, you know, saying, I remember some of the lines where, you know, I always thought I was an intelligent and fairly athletic guy, but I had to put stuff where it shouldn't go. And I was doing stuff I shouldn't do. And, and just the coordination. And, and he was so... Um, so generous in his his writing about you know how generous people were to help him out. No one, no one judged him on being his first night there. They just wanted to help, which to me is so much uh, so much of a better article 
than me saying, well, in karate, it'll do this, this, and that. So, yeah, that was that was kind of a neat experience for us. And that was a, that was a while ago. See what you're doing? You're pushing all these little buttons, and I got all these little stories popping in my head. <laughs> you've got to, uh, you've got to, uh, you got to, yeah, you got to rein me in because I could go all day talking about stories. You know, no, you probably. No, it's great. I love the, uh, I love the stories. Um, do you have a philosophy on self-defense? Yep. I like to call it the city block. Them at one end and you at the other. You're <laughs> never gonna get, if you can run faster from that end of the city block to the other one, you're good. Now, as far as teaching self-defense, um, I really, I, I do a lot of assault awareness classes here. I don't like to use the word self-defense for the simple reason that I think it builds up a false sense of security for people. You know, you have uh, women coming in to train with you for three hours. They're not leaving their finally home killers of death. You know, they should be going out going, whoa. So that's why I always say awareness. I'm here to help you become more aware of, of what you're doing. But if you're teaching, if someone's going to teach self-defense, there are, there are four things that I think. And this is just my philosophy on doing it. One, it has to be easy to learn. The more convoluted, the harder it is, the less chance it's going to work. The second thing is it has to be rapid to apply. It has to go from point A to point B very, very quickly. Because if there's any, any, uh, anything between A and B, um, it could turn sour really quick. The third thing is that it has to be immediate in its consequence. You try to grab somebody by it with an arm bar, you have to eventually put heat on. And as you're putting that pressure on, you know, they're going to start scrambling and things are going to change. So when you when you do something in self-defense, I think it has to be immediate in its consequence. And I'll explain that shortly. And the third thing or the fourth thing is it has to be reliable under stress because fights are stressful. There's very few things that are more stressful. So. My philosophy on teaching self-defense, one, it has to be easy to learn. Two, it has to be rapid to apply. Mm. Three, it has to be immediate in its consequence. And four, it has to be reliable under stress, i.e., take your finger, stick it in somebody's eye. Now, was that easy to learn? Why, yes. Was, he, was, it, was it rapid to apply, point A to point B? Yep. Is it immediate in its consequence? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and, and will it re and is it reliable under stress i don't care how stressed out you are you're blind you're blind does that sound crude well yeah but that's just a, a, a very quick example but those are the four things for me that uh when i'm teaching that i try to keep that philosophy you know yeah keep it simple do it straight and uh you know it's uh I've been in so many situations especially when i was working in security or in the bar business you know um going back and thinking of that philosophy, it's probably, it's what allowed me to, to, uh, to come out physically unscathed, you know? Yeah. And going, going into the bar, um, business, um, that was one of the jobs that you held, uh, outside of teaching karate, right? For quite a while was working. In the, yeah. Well, my, my uncle owned a, owned a bar and it was a Scottish themed bar most people say irish bars but no this was a scottish one and uh so you know coming right out of high school i tried one job my dad got me a job and i just absolutely couldn't do it and i, I lasted three weeks whereas my uncle said well why don't you you know 
what, what was uh, what was that job just out of curiosity oh we, actually what it was my father was the regional supervisor for the nova scotia liquor commission so up here in canada the the, the liquor commission is is a uh, is a federal organization or a provincial body not you can't go to the stores and buy buy stuff so he you know he pulled a lot of strings and got me in to working in uh, a liquor store which is a great job for for normal people um it just wasn't my thing you know nine to five shirt and tie uh it, it just wasn't and uh it didn't allow me the time i wanted to train whereas my uncle offered me work in the bar you know i i, I remember first thing i remember was going to working in a bar was one it cost me to work there the first three nights i worked because my math skills were hard so at the end of the night it actually i said okay you all lost x number of dollars damn i didn't know how this worked you know, I had to. It, it cost me. Um, the biggest thing and the, the best thing about working in the bar business, I said, well, you learn to communicate. Um, you had to learn to communicate with people. And I had an old, uh, an old bar guy that said that he used to get up and read three newspapers every morning before he went to work. And the reason why he read the newspapers is so that he could communicate during the day with patrons. You know, if somebody's talking and they bring up a subject. So, you know, I took that philosophy and started, and I still do it. I still do it today. When I get up first thing in the morning, you know, um, you know, I'll grab a, a cup of coffee and I'll go and I'll, I'll, I'll read, uh, you know, the National Post. I'll read the local news and, uh, you know, international news. So I still have that um that kind of philosophy, but uh, working in the bar, and, and I wasn't a doorman. Most people think that, you know, because of my skill set, that I would be a doorman. Well, doorman only makes X number of dollars an hour, but if you're a waiter, mm-hmm. you make the same amount of money. No one's trying to punch you in the face, and you got to hone your craft. You know, it doesn't mean that I didn't, uh, I wasn't involved with the physicality that was going on, but I was a waiter, you know, and, uh, Working in an Irish bar, uh, you again, you learn to communicate. You know, I was single, so you know, you're feeding women booze. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, it was a great life. It was. I, I, I just I, I met so many interesting people. Um, the bar, because it was my uncle, gave me all the time off I needed to travel. Um, you know, in, in, in any bar that I, I worked in, and I worked in both ends of the evolutionary scale from this upscale. You know, beautiful, beautiful Scottish bar up to you know like a, a, a biker bar, and um, but your skill sets had to be there, you know, um, and uh, you know they gave me the time. They knew that if I was coming to work for them, they already had their doorman, they had those people, but they also had a backup on the floor that knew that uh, with the skill set that I had, that I I was certainly a, a player. So because of that, all the people who I knew would go to that particular establishment because they knew there wasn't going to be any trouble. People in the town, uh, you know, bad boys wouldn't go to that bar because they knew this wasn't the place. There's other places where you could go and be bad. This wasn't one of them. So uh, so the owners, owners would give me a lot of time. They gave me a lot of freedom to go train and travel and, uh, and, and teach and, and compete and come back. So, you know, I had cash in my pocket. I learned to, to, to talk. Um, it, was, it was a great life unfortunately you know the because of the, the, the you know there were a lot of uh, you know physical altercations um mm-hmm. some good some really bad and some quite comical you know when i sit back and i think i, I was in a particular if, if, if i may <laughs> i was working in a particularly rough bar like rough bar i mean we used to 
we knew who was packing at the time. We'd go in, you know, with a little cardboard box. Okay, you got to put your stuff in the box. You can get it back after you're leaving. And um, wow, yeah, it was great. It was it was a great place to work. It really was. But the owner, uh, I was in the back one time, and the owner came around and said, "Ron, there's somebody looking for you out front." I said, "What does he want?" And they went, no, "We're not sure." I said, "Well, how do you know he's looking for me?" And they went, "Well, we're, we're, we're pretty sure he's looking for you." So I put my lunch down and on up, and there was a guy with a karate gi on <laughs> in this biker bar with one leg up on the bar stretching. I kid you not, I swear on my belt. And I look around the corner. So, of course, the staff are all looking at me just busting a gut. This dude's got to be looking for you. He don't want any of us. <laughs> you know, who in their right mind? Well, the problem had been is about two weeks before that I was on a national sports show and they'd show, you know, they'd show me competing and this guy had taken it upon himself, whatever he saw on television, uh, apparently pissed him off somehow. And he decided to come to the bar and show me how it was done. You know, so I, I it, you know, comical, you, you, it didn't turn out well for him, but it, it, <laughs> about it. when you think about it, you know, even the owner saying, yeah, he's for you. Are you sure? Well, we're pretty sure. You know, <laughs> a lot of, there was a lot of, and, and you got good, you get good at communicating without, you know, for every, for everybody that, for one that got clipped, there was 20 that got walked out or talked out or yeah. just said, you know, you know, so that's, those were my greatest accomplishments. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a story that has been in this city for as long as I've been working. And one night I was by myself and there was uh, two tables of, of people, you know, probably seven or eight at each group. Um, you know, they were getting a little rowdy. Things were going to get a little rough. You could see it was, the tension was mounting towards the end of the night. No doorman at the time. So I remember taking my changer off and going over and taking a chair and turning the chair around, sitting in it and looking at both groups. And one of the guys saying, you know, what do you think you're doing? I said, well, I'm just sitting here. I, I, I know it's going to break into a fight. There's no sense me trying to break you guys all up. It just doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to sit here and watch you guys go at it. And then I'm going to beat the shit out of the winner. Uh, so have <laughs> at her. You know, I'm not going to get in the middle of you. And I'm certainly not going to to try to, you know, get into it with all of you. So what I'll do is I'll wait. If, here it is. If, if, if you win and they lose, then you're getting it. If they win and you lose, uh, you're getting it. The only one that's going home tonight unscathed is me. So, have at her. Or, you can all start acting like human beings and just enjoy your beer. And Is it really worth it? Really? Because the police are going to be on their way. Some are going to the hospital. Some are going to jail. It's just not going to work out well. And you know what? They just sort of looked at me, turned back on each other, and I did my job in the way it was finished. So to me, that was, you know, then afterwards, you know, an hour later, you're going, oh, you got away with that one. <laughs> you know, Woo! Yeah, yeah. Go buy, a, go buy a lottery ticket. But there were dozens and dozens of those over the years, you know, and you just learned. You've learned about human nature. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it was, it was a good way to make a living. And, you know, I always taught karate. That was always the path. That was always the road. But these little off ramps are what gave me the money to allow me to do that. Because I made great tips. I made good money when I was working on the bar, you know. And and then to give that all up, um, uh, you know, it was okay. It was okay to give that up. It was time to give it up. It was other other factors were in play. But I think it was probably about sixteen years. <laughs> 
16, wow. 17 years, I slung beer. And uh, not too many days that I I, uh, I regret that. Yeah. Just greatest people. Some of the greatest people, you know, would come in and and, uh, and talk and you learn if you and uh, and made money, made a few bucks. Anyway, and yeah. again, I could sit here for an hour and, and go on about war stories, but uh, you don't want to hear that, and uh, and uh, we don't need to dredge any of that stuff up. It was just part of who I am and how it got me here. But the the I guess the good part about it is that anybody that I teach or anybody that I know knows that. When I'm talking about a scenario, it's not coming out of a book, a video, or a movie. There's a better than even chance that happened. And these are the results, good or bad. These are the results. I always tell people, so I, I broke my arm so you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, right. I'm sure working in uh, in the bar business too, you um, throughout all those years, you kind of got pretty smart into figuring out what which which fights were kind of worth jumping into or or you know picking on which weren't and I'm, I'm sure most of them weren't. No, they weren't. And one of the things I tell people, even because I do, uh, I did a lot of work with people working bars. I said, first thing you have to think about, especially in Nova Scotia, is ten thousand dollars. Let that word let that come into your head right away. Ten thousand dollars, because that's what an assault charge is going to cost here in Eastern Canada. That's not whether you get off or whether you get convicted. That's what it's going to cost you to go to trial. Getting a lawyer, getting affidavits, getting everything done. And how many pinheads out there are worth 10 grand? Because you're going to have to pay that for a lawyer right out of the gate. 10 grand. And I'm sure that's probably gone up much more than that. Uh, but that's that's your initial outlay. How bad do you want to get into a bit of a brawl, you know? Uh, back in my day, that 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 never that that never came up because it wasn't part of the norm. You know, back in the seventies and eighties, uh, if you got clipped, you deserved it. You just moved on. You know, you just you know you just hopefully weren't barred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, times have changed. Times have changed, and and thank God. I think now it's gone a little bit too far the other way. But uh, I'm glad that that's not the norm anymore. I couldn't, I wouldn't last in a bar anymore. Not a, not being an old man, but you know, I, I mean, I can get in an argument. I'm sure to God, I get in an argument in the Vatican. You know, <laughs> uh, I've just got one of those faces people want to argue with. And thank God, this is a radio show. I, I mean, I have a face for radio, not for television. So. <laughs> okay, that's enough of that. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, any other jobs? Uh outside of teaching karate that you held for another number of years? Yeah, I, I, I did a lot of security work. Um, I, you know, I probably spent uh, close to 30 years in the private security business. Uh, it's not something that I strive for. It just sort of happened through attrition. Um, you know what? I, I, I can kind of remember the first, I was at an outdoor wedding one time and things got, were getting messy with a, a group of, people that were at the wedding and the, the groom came over and said, you know, can you please sort of calm these guys down? And I went over, it, it turned south. Uh, there was some attitude readjusting that happened. And after it was over, uh, um, a, a guy came up to me and said, can you do that? Like every time? <laughs> and and I, <laughs> yes, if I had to, he goes, you looking for work? I said, no, nah, I got a job. He said, we'd like you to, 
I'd like to have, take you out to lunch. So he took us out, and you know, he was a member of a, of a four man security sort of thing that, uh, um, and they needed fresh blood, and he liked what he saw. So I started, I started working in security, you know, not with the jacket, with the security on the back, but doing private security. And I learned on the job, and I learned from the best. And uh, so, you know, over that period of time. Um, there was stuff we would work in groups at four or you did a lot of one-on-one uh, stuff. So I spent a lot of years um, doing that. And because I ran my own business, it allowed me to take that time off. Whereas if you were a nine-to-five job, you could never you could never do, do that. And I tried to take as much of my, my work experience with me that I could apply to my karate philosophy or to my students. But in the same vein, I said, if I hadn't have done what I did for a living – I probably would be dead, but if I hadn't have done that, my karate wouldn't be as good. So it was it was a symbiotic relationship, and you know you, you come out of that physically un, unscathed. Uh, you know, and I was lucky enough to come out the other end, and uh, you know, and I still even at my age get calls. Um, you know, would you be interested in driving, or 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 could we get some information? How would you handle this? And uh, so you know, um, it, it was an integral part of of my life and. Um, you know, but when my son came along, uh, there was no, there was no need for that. There was no place in my life for having to do that type of work and then come back. And then right. when he would, and when he started school, uh, you know, a couple of job offers came in that were, you know, a lot less risk and a lot less reward. So I would, I would take them and that would just, you know, I, you know, bank it, bank it. And I, you know, I was a bit of a, an adrenaline junkie, um, but that's a bad thing too, you know? So, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and again, I could probably fill your podcast with just some of the, the nicest, nicest people that I met and some of the biggest dicks in the world that I, I worked for. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just because you got money doesn't make you a nice person, you know. So, um, you know, again, I, I just took it all in stride, um, put it in the uh, put it in the box of this is who you are, this is where you are, and uh, and, and used it used it to, to, to bring me to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Mm. What were the, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned from, um, the personnel security job? Uh, to go home, to, to do your job right. And to go home. That was, that was, uh, that was our philosophy. It doesn't matter what happens. It's, we're going home We're we have to, we have to go home. I had a conversation with a police officer here on Saturday night, just passed, and we were talking about security, and and uh, and that's one of the things that I had brought up. You know, I don't care what happens, I'm going home. And he said, "Yeah." He said, "That's the same thing. A lot of peace officers, you we just got to go home." So the biggest lesson I learned was was do your job right. People used to say, and they still do. That must have been a really exciting job, and it wasn't. It was the most boring job in the world if you did your job right. Yep. If you do your job wrong, you'll have all the excitement you want once. You know, so, uh, you know, you did your homework, you did due diligence, you did your job right, um, and you came home and you, you, you banked it. You banked it. You banked the experience. You banked the money and tried to get back to whatever your gauge was for normalcy until the next time you were out. You know, so I did learn a lot of lessons from that. But I also, um, you know, have some issues because of all of those combinations of things of, 
of working in the bar business, um, mostly positive, but some bad. Working in the security business, mostly positive, but but some bad. And and they they take their toll. They absolutely take their toll. And uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. And, no, uh, and uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, and uh, you know, just knowing you, uh, knowing you personally, um, I know that uh, work for you working in the bar business and the personal security uh, job, uh, the the con- um, some of the mental consequences, um, which you might be referring to, and kind of uh, those issues that have stuck to you today, um, I guess really really affect you now. Uh, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was diagnosed with PTSD uh, 14 years ago. Uh, and like most alpha males, uh, yeah, we don't need help. We can handle it. Uh, you know, so I went probably, uh, you know, I was, I, I thought I was handling it, but I wasn't. Um, and it wasn't one, you know, some people can contact that mental disease with one horrific event. But when you multiply them over and over and over again, they, they build up. So I thought I was handling it. Um, doing the best that I could, but I, I wasn't. I was looking for triggers, doing the best that I could. Uh, but about five years ago, I was in. I was hit and run. Actually, it was on my bicycle, uh, and and driving to the dojo, and I got hit, and I uh, got busted up pretty good. It was a hit and run, and you know, and you, and uh, you know, it wasn't long after that, or during the recuperating period, I started to have uh, flashbacks. Um, serious flashbacks, um, being able to smell cordite, seeing flashes, seeing faces, and you know, all of a sudden, go, whoa, this, this, this is not good. You know, I have a young family, I have a wife, and I and I was suffering, and so I, I went to try to find help, and uh, I didn't find the help that I was looking for, or try to find the help at that particular time, but. Um, Strangely enough, I had been on a security job uh, in Mexico, and uh, one of the people uh, was a clinical psychologist, and she recognized that I was struggling when I was on the job. So she uh, asked if I would like some help, and I said, well, of course. And uh, so then I started realizing, okay, I need some serious help here. I've got to, you know, I I need help. I can know you can't tough this shit out. You know, I believe for these guys coming back from overseas, it, it's just, it's an insidious disease. You know, you break your finger, Chase, you got six weeks. You know, you stretch a muscle, you, you got eight weeks. It's going to get better. If you get a crack in the bread pan, it's for life. Mm-hmm. And you, be- you better step up to the plate. And a lot of these people don't, unfortunately, have the tools to be able to do that. I am so blessed to be surrounded by such a, a, a loving family. Uh, I have got a great support system. Uh, my senpai... Stephen Boudreau, who I mentioned earlier, has, who has been a rock in the dojo, who I I, I, I try to live up to his expectations, and and uh, you know he senses, he can sense, and they they're just everybody's there to help out, and you know I've got a really good doctor that can help out, and uh, you know the biggest thing about it is you you have to look for triggers, you have to modify your lifestyle, um, if you're not, you're just not going to make it, and. Uh, you know, we all know what happens to a lot of people. They they end up getting addicted to drugs or alcohol. Or, um, they become dependent. Uh, you know, suicide is a very real factor. 
and not only hurting themselves, but the people that are around them. And that's not going to happen. And uh, so, you know what? I take every precaution I can to keep it under control. And I've never hit it. I've never hidden it. I've always told the people who are around me that this is the this is what I've got. This is what I'm dealing with. Um, can you come along for the ride? And they all they all have. And you know, by me saying this to you, if there's one other person out there. Um, who may have this this affliction and, and thinks that they can handle it by yourself, I beg you, go get help. Go get help because I I, I want to be a good teacher. I want to be a good person. I want to I, I want to live a long time and and uh, you know I can't do that alone. I I need help and I'm and I and I get help when I need it. So you know what? I'm still the same crazy bastard I've always been. You know I just look for the triggers and stay away from those and try to do my best. Um, but you know, it, it's a real thing and it's always going to be back there. It's always going to be back there. I'm just, I just don't like them coming up too often. Yeah. 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 Does it, does your PTSD tend to flare up in certain situations or environments? Uh, yeah, it would, but I stay out of those environments. I used to love to go to the range. Um, I don't go to the range. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, used to watch a lot of, uh, who's not a John Wick fan, you know, <laughs> <laughs> You know, me watching John Wick at 10 o'clock at night is not a great idea. But I, so what I do is I don't watch any, uh, any type of thing that might set me off in the evening. If I'm going to watch something like that, I'll tape it and I'll watch it during the day and hopefully go through. So, uh, I'm a voracious reader. So I, I try to keep my reading to light educational reading, you know, a lot of historical stuff. Um, you know, and I rely on the generosity of others to say, well, you're a little off today. Oh, okay. Sorry. You know, but the, but you know, uh, I've had times where where you know a warm breeze has blown across my face and it's taking me back to somewhere I might have been or someplace I might have been. So there's no rhyme or reason. You just have to triggers and be mm-hmm. smart and know that that's a trigger. And if there's new triggers coming, then I'll deal with them when they get there. So that's how I kind of handled it. But it was funny. I I said to my doctor one time, I hate using the words PTSD. I hate it. And she said, well, you know, that's, and I went, I'd like to call it SB. And she said, yeah, what's that? I said, significant blowback. I can remember <laughs> two letters. And she said, the fact that you compartmentalized four letters down to two lets me know that you're on your way to to being better, you know. Mm-hmm. And and listen, and I have a small group of, of friends and of like-minded people that we get together every couple of weeks. And how was your day? Good. You know, and you know you're not going to be judged. No one's gonna say, "Whoa, you're really cracked." You know, that's and that's that's uh, it's imperative. It's imperative that you find the trust and, and of the people who you know are not going to judge you for for what you are. It's what you did. It's not necessarily who you are. Yeah, and you know, besides uh, besides therapy and besides kind of avoiding uh, environments that might uh, you know trigger flashbacks, um, any other tools, methods, or coping mechanisms coping mechanisms that you use that you found effective in kind of lessening the severity of um i guess in your words significant blowback yeah when when you know if you feel the darkness coming and a lot of times you can uh, for me boom all i have to do is put on that suit <laughs> mm-hmm. that's super power i put on my gi or i even just go to the dojo and i start helping people and the world disappears Everything bad goes away because I am there totally focused on helping the person that's in front of me. So there's no room in my world for the darkness then. Um, 
you know, just try to realize that I've, uh, yeah, that to me, you know, having friends, family around, that really, really helps. But I'd say the number one coping mechanism for me is to teach because it's, that's, wow, that takes me, that's where I go to my happy place. You know, that's that's my thing. And I just, you know, when I put on that white suit, that's the same white suit I needed 47 years ago. You know, I got to get one of them white suits and it's still that white suit is still, you know, I mean, we, we've all had dreams in our sport. I, I, I know that you're an avid tennis player, but, you know, you have dreams where you can't find your racket. <laughs> you, you have yeah. dreams, mash that ball and it doesn't go anywhere. All of a sudden it's like a, hard boiled egg it's not moving you know could other people have the same thing i'm competing in an international tournament i can't find my belt <laughs> the knee doesn't fit but it always has something to do with that so you know going back 47 years and, and uh saying i gotta have one of those suits you know 47 years later i might be getting a little down in the dumps oh i gotta have that suit so it's still there it still permeates my thoughts it's still there it's yeah. not a but it's close mm-hmm yeah. CTE, um, I guess as some might say a relative of, uh, PTSD. And I think, um, when you look at the UFC, I think it's inevitable that a lot of the, the guys that are fighting, um, that have been fighting for a while will exhibit symptoms of CTE as they age and knowing, knowing you're a big fan of MMA. I was wondering if you have any thoughts on the long-term future of the sport. Well, it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere because it's gladiatorial. And how long have we been watching gladiatorial games? You know, up to this point, hockey was it. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's here. I, I think it's here to stay um, in some form or another. But, I, it, you know, first of all, because it's, it's, it's big bucks. I mean, it's huge money. And it doesn't matter what the public has to say, whether they like it or it's barbaric or whatever. When you're pulling in that much money, it's staying. It's absolutely staying. As far as, uh, you know, the people who are involved, I absolutely think you are correct. I think that we are going to be seeing a lot of people with a lot of frontal lobe issues. Um, you know, I really, really do. And it's not so much, you know, the higher end people or the people who are in, you know, the, 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 the big echelon. It's the lower it's the guys who are fighting on Sunday afternoon in the bar, you know what I mean? Trying to make their way through it with, they're not, they're not getting scans. They're not training properly. They're not getting medical help. And, you know, you got a St. John ambulance guy there in the corner, you know, what does he really know about concussions? Or, so I think, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be, uh, it's not going to be great. And I think the training, I, and I'd say, now this is just my opinion, so I don't need anybody going after you or, about this i think that the training has to change and it's very difficult to change that mindset one of the things I, i've been lucky in that i've had a chance to train with some really high echelon uh fighters in mma that belong to the highest level of mma i don't know if you can name, say what organization but i'll leave it that we all know who i'm talking about mm -hmm. and and first of all very respectful unbelievably respectful you know not knowing me from adam but knowing they brought me in for a reason to help out um but i was i remember going back to the hotel room the first night and and being amazed at how little they knew about the human body about stretching 
the flexibility and, and, and not all of them, but a couple of guys, you know, it was like being at a Mac dojo. Well, how long will it take to do that? I want to do that. Well, first of all, you've got to stretch properly to be able to do that. Then you have to understand it. You got to rip out. Well, you, yeah, but how long will that take? You know, it was, it was a, it was a self gratification. They want it now, you know, and I'm, I, I, and I thought the guys that I met, the guys that I've trained with were, were absolutely dedicated. They were respectful they were they were dedicated to what they were doing, but they were a little naive in the fact of how to train properly to understand what they were doing. And and I remember saying, and no one's listening, but uh, I always said to go forward, you have to go back. And I really believe a lot of these guys would go forward further and safer and have a longer career if they went backward and learned the stretching techniques that would make that particular kick safe to do. Safe on you, more speed, more power, safer, more balance, everything that makes it makes it effective. Um, and that boils down to, I see a lot of people, what I would say in MMA, kicking with their foot as opposed to kicking with their knee. And that just goes back to the teachers. Um, you know, and there's not a lot of guys out there that are getting that type of in-depth understanding of how the body works so um and that's why i say it would be really cool if they could go backwards learn these type of things and then they would go forward in their career safer longer you know it's inevitable you you keep throwing kicks and and shin on bone contact it something's got to give you know it's one of the things that i said to the guy that i was training with i'm not afraid of the guy that's got 200 kicks i'm worried about the guy that's got one and he can pinpoint it and put it wherever he wants. That's the guy that's dangerous because he's going to put that in on you regardless of what you do. And mm -hmm. the only way to do that is to learn the methodology, foot position, knee position, retractions, balance, the basic philosophies on how they work, but they don't. They go in and they learn how to hit a bag. They hit a bag. They, you know, they're learning the percussive aspect of it, but they're not learning the intricacies of it. And I understand this. It's moving so rapidly. The sport, do I think it's evolving? I think the training methodologies are evolving to get them there faster, but it's not necessarily a good thing. Not necessarily a good thing, but do I love it? Yeah. Do I enjoy watching? I certainly do. Am I critical? At home. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. take that aside because it's at home, just, you know, but, uh, you know, you'll, I'll be watching a fight and go, look at that. Okay, let's watch the kicks. Are they kicking with their knee? All of the students or students will be watching. Do you think that kick was with their knee or with their foot? Oh, and they know. They know the difference. Never been in a ring, but they can tell the difference, you know. Um, it's about carpet bombing as opposed to, to uh, laser guided. You know, and this is a, a, a quick thing I said one time when I was talking to a bunch of MMA fighters. I said, you know what? You guys remind me of during World War II, the Axis powers had what was called uh, or the Allied forces had carpet bombing. They would take their bombers, they would go over, they would drop their ordnance over a particular target, try to take it out. Well, they know after the war was over that only 15% of that was hit. 15% of the targets were hit. The rest was all collateral damage. Now, that changed dramatically when all of a sudden you could get someone to paint up a picture. You put a laser dot on your target, someone pushes a button 2,000 miles away, and boom. It disappears. Well, that's like some of the kicks I see. They're carpet bombing. They're just throwing as many kicks as they can, as hard as they can, 
hoping they can hit the target. Was imagine if you had somebody that only threw a kick that he knew he was going to laser it in. That's the type of training that I, I prefer to do is teaching people how to not how to throw a, a, a ton of kicks, not how to throw kicks hard or how to throw them fast, how to throw them precise, how to laser it. You're not going to get injured. You're going to do your job, and you're going to have a lot longer life in that particular sport. For the people that I train with, that's the philosophy that I come with. If you're looking for something else, I, I'm not the guy. I apologize. I'm not the guy to help you out. If you're looking for technical ability, come see me. If you're looking for just raw stuff, yeah, we can throw some of that in too. But for the most part, technical is the way to go. Yeah. And I would I would agree with you that um, MMA and um, UFC and whatever other promotions are are definitely here to here to stay for the long term. Like you said, um, you know, it's it's very primal, uh, and in your words, very gladiatorial. And I think it just appeals to uh, to the human nature to watch it. Uh, it's just you know one of the most I think in my opinion one of the most exciting sports to to watch. Um, you know, whether or not uh, you know CT or whatever other brain issues come from the fighters whether it's going to be like some rule changes or whether they put some you know protective gear on the fighters um i would agree with you that it's still it's it'll be here to stay for the for the long term well it doesn't go you don't have to just talk about mma you look what the problems that they're having now with professional football not even talking about uh you know college ball or or uh, league ball or, or you know just juniors playing football the, the amount of injuries that are happening, it's still going to be there. Football is not disappearing. I'd love to see how many people watched the Super Bowl yesterday. I'm sure that they had great numbers. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think there are, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Unfortunately, I hope it's not on the backs of, of a death or something like that. But I, I, I think that they're they're doing what they can. To, to try to minimize that at the higher level. Again, for me, it's, it's the guy that's the guys that are putting on the fights in the church hall on Saturday night, and, you know, lower publico or, you know, let's, <laughs> or, or somewhere in the backwoods. Those are the guys that are really gonna, yeah. Yeah. They're the guys that are going to get hurt, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it, it big money, big talk. Yeah. That's the way. Going back to uh, to, uh, to karate, um, one thing I, I did want to cover is um, your work uh, helping to professionalize refereeing in karate, which I thought uh, I think is really cool. Um, so I wonder if you could just like go into go into that. Yeah, I, I, I can. Once I once I stopped competing, uh, the next thing was to get into coaching, and I didn't really like the coaching all that much because it's. You know, I, you kind of, I just didn't like the coaching aspect of. Not that I couldn't coach, but I liked the idea of officiating. So I started, um, and and one of the biggest misnomers that are out there is I'm a black belt. I must know how to referee. Oh my God, that couldn't be further from the truth. But the guys who train hard as a karate guy, trained hard as officials. So you know, I started coming up through the ranks and and uh, and refereeing and do the best job. And I think the fact that I was. Uh, you know, I was successful as a competitor, gave me an edge as far as refereeing. But I was watching a lot of people and they weren't doing that well because they may not have had the same type of background. So what I did was um, I refused to let somebody throw me a bone. I was going to the national championships every year. And, uh, you know, you show up at a refereeing seminar and you, you didn't 
do refereeing techniques, you went over the rules. Well, you should know the rules when you got there. This is the national level. So what I would do is after the competition was come over, I would come back. I would get the referees in my province. Actually, I started my own dojo and say, okay, this is what I saw. So I started a grassroots program uh, at my dojo. And all of a sudden, you know, within years, uh, within a, a year or so, a lot of the referees in the province were people that were out of our dojo because they had experience, because they had gone through this referee program that we had put together. And a really grassroots one, I'm talking about, you know, how to move in the ring, how to walk, how to stay in shape. You want to be refereed by a guy whose reputation is hanging over his belt? Not really. So I was, you know, adamant about staying in shape, learning the rules inside and out, um, foot movement. So a lot of things like that. And then um, the province, other dojos in the province recognized that and said, well, you know, we'd really kind of like to be involved in that. So I did. So I set up a provincial uh, training program. And within uh, within three years, at the national level, all of a sudden there's 15, 10 to 15 guys from my province that were you know, class A national referees. What's going on? The the, the little province hanging off of Canada has these unbelievable referees. So then I was approached by at the national level to say, you know, what's going on? I said, well, we've got this referee program and we're running it and we're doing a really good job with it. And um, I, I, One of the other provinces came and I, I started, I went over and I set the program up for them. And So then it came to the point where the, the national level said, you know, we can we have a look at this thing? Well, yeah. Let's do it. So then I ended up going up and and taking all of these referees who had had, you know, were older or senior, had more, and, and taking them right back to a grassroots level. Let's move in the ring. Let me see how you move. Let me see, because if you move properly in the ring, uh, that improves your vision. If that proves your vision, that improves your ability to see strikes faster. And and uh, competition karate is quick. It's extremely fast. Um, so... You know, it, and and because of that, I was fortunate enough to to uh, be awarded a national award for bringing referee credentials up and the ability to referee. And um, I know that they've actually they adopted the same program and took it to Japan and were teaching over there. And people are saying you must have done well financially out of it. Well, I didn't because all I wanted to do was to become a, the best referee I could and to teach refereeing. So I gave it away. You know, but I always have. And then it became public domain, so anybody, and I know that there was people out there that were teaching, and that's fine by me. I'm not, I wasn't worried about that. But the referee, the having a good referee, and 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 I had a mandate. You know, one, the right person has to win. You know, uh, your job is not to write the rules. Your job is to adjudicate those rules, learn them, know them inside and out. So these are some of the grassroots things that we went with, and. Um, because the officiating got better, more people started going to tournaments because they realized, well, I'm going to get a fair shake. It's mm -hmm. not from what dojo I'm from or how good I am. I'm going to get a fair shake because and and that started to snowball, which was kind of which was kind of cool to see and, and knowing that we were part of that um, was great, you know. And I, that's not something I did on my own. I I brought the ball to the mat, but you know. Um, my senpai was always there to, to, to flesh stuff out. and That poor bugger be at work someday, and I give him a call in the middle of his work and going, hey, Steve, I got an idea. Uh, of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be in after work, and we'll talk about it. So that's, the officiating thing was really, really important for me, and because of that, um, I, was, you know, uh, I was placed on the Referee Council of Canada, which is, is you can't go any higher in this country. 
um, as an official, which then allowed me to start traveling internationally to represent my country, officiating, which, you know, all of a sudden you're in Medellin, Colombia, you're, you know, and you're in Venezuela and you're, and you're doing your thing and you're officiating and you're meeting more people and you're getting to train with more people. And, and uh, so that was another avenue that opened up for me that, that ended up being, uh, you know, not something that I look for, but it, it, it got me in a few arguments with people because they were talking about martial arts. And then I got to the point where I was saying, well, it's not really a martial art, is it? Oh, what do you mean it's not a real martial art? I said, it's a civil art. This is civil. We have rules. We have equipment. We have a referee to adjudicate the rules. There are medical staff standing by. There's a time limit. How civil is that? You got to shake hands before it started. You got to bow to each other. It's quite civil. There was rules. There was places you could hit, the place you couldn't. So it wasn't a martial art. It was a civil art. And I got into a few arguments about people with that. Uh, you say, well, it's a martial art. Well, it's based on a martial art for sure. But how civil is it? I was never in one altercation in the bar where I went up and shook hands and said, hi, I'm Ron. I'll be your assailant. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this goes well for you. Now, you know, let's not go outside because we might get grass stains on our pants. And, uh, oh, not over there. The floor is dirty. You know, that's civil, man. That's civil. Yeah. And so competition is, to me, is is great to watch. And knowing it's in the Olympics this year, I'm going to be looking really forward to watching it. A lot of people don't realize karate is going to be in the Olympics in 2020. But there's only going to be 80 competitors worldwide. Worldwide, 80 competitors. So you're going to get the best competitive fighters in the world at the Olympics. And a lot of people are going to be absolutely astounded at the speed. Speed is what makes this thing. It's just they're there and it's boom, it's done. And you're going, what the hell just happened? Well, watch and learn. That's going to be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. yeah. So what was it? What was refereeing like before? You, you started to create this um, this program was it just was just a complete mess where people were just getting robbed well, left and right well it wasn't that bad here but I saw it in a lot of other places uh, especially when I traveled to to tournaments that were not under the guidance of like the National Karate Association of Canada which is the governing body of karate up here you know you go to for all intents and purposes uh, an open tournament. Oh, my God, they were dressed in T-shirts and, you know, it was just so first of all, right off the bat, you didn't know if they were a competitor, a parent or an official. So the first thing you have to do is you put on a uniform because the uniform shows uniformity. It shows that, OK, you're a professional. So one of the things I used to say, you know, if you want to act like a professional or be be viewed as a professional, you dress like one, you act like one and you stay in shape the best way you can. So a lot of the, 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 there was, you know, there was people who knew the rules but didn't quite understand them. Uh, there was a lot of biasness that was there because, you know, their students were involved and there was, that was a two-way street because sometimes they were prejudiced against them because, you know, they were their students and didn't want to be perceived as being biased. So I think the biggest thing was they didn't know the rules. A lot of them just weren't in shape. They, they hadn't been competitors or if they were, they were competitors at a very, low level, uh, whereas I was lucky enough to to be a provincial, national, and a competitor internationally. So I got to see the best and how they they conducted themselves. And then, you know, interviewing guys who had a lot more seniority than I did and watch the way they handled themselves and say, okay, yeah, that's, that's what I want to bring to the table. 
you know, but there wasn't a program. So you could either whine about it or go back and develop one. So that's exactly what we did. And I didn't develop it as an international officiating. I developed it as, uh, for the, for the dojo and the dojo, uh, show did great. So it went to the provincial level, went from the provincial level to the maritime level, went from the maritime level to national and to international, just to attrition because it had an intrinsic value. It had an intrinsic value. It's funny. Can, uh, can I, can I, another broach a, a real quick story that, yeah. that just, is that you know we were talking about earlier about you know whether you had made it successfully or not and how do you judge your success well years ago i got a phone call from uh, from boston and the, the phone call came from sensei george matson and sensei matson first of all wonderful fellow a really really nice man and, a, and an outstanding karateka he's still alive i think he's a 10th down now retired down but he's the man that brought weichi Weichiru Karate to North America. So the, the cat's got some, some, you know, some stuff. And he was a, just a great guy. Well, he called me up. And Ron, this is uh, George Matson from Boston. I went, Sensei Matson? No, no, just George. I went, well, no. <laughs> you know, how can I do it for you? He said, it's my understanding that you developed this referee program in Canada. And he said, I really... He said, I, I, I kind of saw you doing a bit of it in B- Bermuda. Would you be willing to bring that down and, and introduce it to us? And I went, well, yes, of course, because at that time, the Weichi used to just fight among Weichi. And they were looking to sort of broaden their horizon and get out there in the AAU and, and try to see how they would make up with other stuff. So the fact that this guy called me to go down there was really blew me away because I had the program. But uh, about two weeks before that, Soroka Sensei, who is the 10th fan and the father who brought karate to Canada, phoned me up and, you know, the phone, hey, fag, uh, Sensei, how can I do for you? We need, we need a methodology for doing team kata. A lot of people are out there doing team kata, but they don't have any way to, you know, and he sort of had the Japanese look to it. I won't do my Mr. Miyagi impression. But, uh, you know, <laughs> called and, and knew that I had been working on this. And when I got it finished, would I mind coming up to Toronto and showing him so that we could start in our particular discipline, in our organization, get more people involved in team kata. So I said, yeah, that, that's not a problem. We, we can do that. Um, and then I can't remember the time frame, but it was probably that same year. I got a phone call from Kentucky and a guy by the main name of William Dimitrich, who was the first guy to bring, and one of the first in, in North America to bring Chitoru karate to, to the United States in 1956. I think he was before Sensei Matson, um, and he was in Kentucky. And I think he actually was was uh, um, uh, Elvis Presley's instructor. But anyway, he called me up, and he had been talking to Soroka Sensei because they had been friends over the years, and said that he had had a fighter who had some real, uh, real talent, but he had a crappy attitude, and he was wondering if he could send him up to Nova Scotia here so that he could learn to better at point fighting and, and maybe maybe get a bit of a spanking in, in the same time to bring him back to reality and I'm like, yeah absolutely send him up you know i'll pick him up at the airport he can stay at my home and and uh we'll train and and, and i'll do my best and and afterwards i thought and i still to this day was here i am i'm nobody i'm i'm i'm, I'm just the guy trying to learn karate and try to be the best teacher i can but a tenth dan from kentucky a tenth dan from 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 Boston, the tenth band from from Canada, 
all the best at what they do and the highest ranks in your particular style are phoning me for help. I got to be doing something right. Yep. Got to be doing something right. And I use that as a sort of a template. And, you know, and since then, there's been a lot of people. I, I still get a lot of people calling. I get a lot of people visiting. And, uh, you know, from karate people to to security people to, to you know, MMA fighters. You know, we, we and I don't say me, we have something to offer. And I'm, I'm always willing to get it out there to help as many people as we can. Otherwise, I wouldn't be the a teacher and I wouldn't still strive to be the best teacher I could be. Yeah. No? And one of the um, things that karate has brought you in terms of um, being able to help other people um, has been actually been outside of the dojo in doing community-based work. Um, maybe if you want to just touch on, on some of the stuff you've, you've done there. Yeah. I, I, you know, you get a lot of calls you know, for some guy that didn't like to talk when he was a kid. Now I can't shut the hell up. <laughs> You know, uh, it's hard to find a mentor out there today. Now, you know, a lot of people, are are we going to find it in our political leaders? Eh, Not so much. Uh, You know, (laughs) we've had problems with our our religious leaders. We've had problems, you know, with goats. And we all know what I'm talking about. So it's, it's, you know, where do kids get that leadership from? So anytime that myself or my, my instructor, my teachers had the opportunity to go we always went out and we spoke and um one of the highlights for me was i was involved in something called team victory and it was professional athletes that went around to schools talking about kids that we how we had made it you know to a national or international level in our particular sport without the use of alcohol and drugs and it 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 started there was uh they brought Dave Winfield, who those of you who know who Dave Winfield is know he's one of the greatest baseball players. He played for the New York Yankees, Hall of Famer, just a phenomenal ball player. He was the keynote speaker, and they had other athletes. Well, um, it was about an hour drive to the venue, and a friend of mine, was a school teacher, was taking some kids up, and they needed someone to drive. So I drove a bunch of kids up, and I was actually sitting out on the lawn while they went into this venue because there was you know hundreds of people going in there. Um, I was sitting out on the lawn when one of the organizers came out and saw me and said, excuse me, you know, you're on Fagan, aren't you? And I said, I am. And, you know, you were on the Canadian national team. I said, yes, I was. How do you feel about alcohol and drugs? I said, no need for them in my world. Would you mind saying that inside? And I went, sure. Here's a T-shirt. And they threw a T-shirt on me and they, they went into this. And all of a sudden, there's like 1,500 kids sitting there, you know, with bated breath, waiting for words of wisdom. And there were professional athletes there, like Dave Winfield, guys on the national basketball team. I remember the Commonwealth, the Canadian Canadian and Commonwealth welterweight boxing champion were there. So, and all of a sudden I get pushed out on stage. You're first. You know, (laughs) you're first. And I remember walking out and having a ball hat on or a baseball hat. And saying, you know, uh, so many years ago, I walked into a karate dojo. I said I had hair down to my shoulders and I had a terrible attitude. And I flipped my hat off and I said, my attitude has changed. So is my hairdo, you know, being bald. And they started to laugh and I had them. I had them. I had them out of my first line. <laughs> so then, then I launched and, 
after that, you know, Dave Winfield and these guys are coming back going, whoa, now we got to follow you. And I'm going, what just happened? And that was it. The next thing you know, we were in vans. And for the next week, we just went to school. We, we spoke to thousands of kids. And when, when the team victory thing came to an end, um, I just started getting phone calls from schools who had heard me speak. You know, so then I just, it just barrel rolled from there. Then I started speaking, uh, you know, at schools. I started speaking at other events. Uh, I actually gave the, the commencement speech one time at a graduating class. And, you know, me, really? You sure I'm the guy you want to talk to people graduating? And, uh, you know, uh, and then after that, it was, you know, I can remember being on a red-eye flight from uh, Alberta and, coming home and getting home at six o'clock in the morning and getting picked up at the airport and being driven to one of the armed forces base where I was to speak in front of 500 uh, female military people about, uh, you know, assault awareness. And, you know, I'm working on 48 hours of non-sleep and I've got to go talk to these people like that. So I, I remember going out on the stage and pulling the chair around and going, let's get this off the bank right away. I look, I feel as bad as I look. <laughs> and again got a quick laugh and all right let's 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 share you know so that allowed me you know uh, and I, I i just couldn't have done that when i was younger i just i couldn't have done that that's one of the things that makes me so proud of my son to get up in front of ten thousand people and dance and do his best and just shug it off man i just i'm so proud of him because i couldn't have done that as a kid i couldn't have done that and when i watch him i get inspired by watching what he does so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by a 14 year old. The fact that he's mine is even better because I still look at him and go, "Damn, I, I made him." <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. But he's his own man. He's going to be his own man, and and I hope, you know, I just want to be around to see that happen. Mm-hmm. We're all proud. It's just like your dad is so proud of you. You know, he is so proud of what you're doing, and uh, um, whether he says it or whether he doesn't, I know he's bursting, bursting with it uh and i'm proud I'm, I'm 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 genuinely humbled that you you phone and asked me to to do this for you because there's a lot of guys out there with a lot more to say than in educational stuff than i am so um and again i i just want to thank you for for allowing me the time to to talk you know? so <laughs> anyway uh you know what i'm, I'm gonna have to, to take off because I have a class to teach in 10 minutes, and as much as I'd love to sit and talk to you, mm-hmm. I got to work. So, uh, again, uh, Chase, good luck with your podcast. I think you're, you're, you're a natural interviewer. Um, I just wish you all the success in the world, regardless of what you're doing. If there's anything I could ever do to help out, please, please let us know. And if there's any of your listeners out there that ever need anything, I don't do a lot of things well, but I do a couple of things pretty well. Feel free to contact me, and, and uh, I'd love to be able to share except how I make out in the yoga class. Very, very very personal. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks again, Ron. I'll see you. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.